Good morning, y'all. 9.30, Saturday, February 2nd, and I'm here with my friend, Brian Skelton. Brian Skelton's a member of the gym. He is a realtor. Um, he has spent his time in other endeavors. And where were you born and raised here? No, I was, I was born a Yankee. Oh, you, oh, that's right. You're from Buffalo. No, well, just, uh, just east of there. So ah, okay. I was born in Rochester, and then we moved to Texas when I was four. Thank God. Well, let's welcome Brian Skelton. Hello, Brian. How you doing, man? Good. So Thanks just, for having me, brother. Say that again? Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. You're having me here. So thank you. Right now we're watching the Super Bowl commercials, the best, the countdown for the best Super Bowl commercials. <clears throat> There's some good ones in there. We were just saying how Budweiser always comes out with the best commercials. Always. Oh, um, And Doritos. Oh yeah, dude, Doritos. One of the best Doritos commercials was the little kid where he, where he, you know that was a fan submission? Oh really? Yeah. So Like, like the idea? Yeah. No, no, no. Like the actual video. So they, they did a, a campaign where they had the Dorito, like the Doritos fans, they said like create a, a Doritos commercial for us and the best ones we'll put into the Super Bowl. So they had the one with the little kid and the spaceship and then the guy has a bag of Doritos and he like pretends that he's like blasting off and then he tells the old man like some guy walks up to his little cardboard spaceship and he's like if you give me your bag of Doritos I'll let you use my spaceship and it's a time traveling spaceship oh so yeah I remember this one gives yes. him the Doritos and then the and then <laughs> the little kid like leaves and then the old man comes out of the house because the, the cardboard box is right in front of his house and then <laughs> he knocks on the box and then the, the guy gets out of the box and it's the old man he's like Billy, did you age? <laughs> oh man, that and and what did you say the other one was? No, Doritos and what was the other company? Oh, Budweiser. That's Budweiser, what I was just yeah. Bud Light, Budweiser. Hopefully they'll be good today. Looking Who you to. got? I don't know. I uh, my I mean my team is the Bills, so. But you I'm going. Care. I'm going AFC. You know, so I'll go Chiefs. Mm, okay. Yeah. I got Chiefs. I got 20 with Sam Garcia yeah. on that. On who? Chiefs. You didn't but go Niners? You're Cowboy. Yeah, but I, I don't care about the I don't care. Just because the Cowboys are in, I don't really care who's in. Or just because the Cowboys aren't in. Cowboys haven't been good in so long. Dude, the Bills are pretty good this season. Yeah. Their defense played super well. I had their defensive fantasy for a while. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. I mean, uh, I was at that, uh, that famous, now famous... Thanksgiving Day game when they played the Cowboys this year. Oh, they they lost, right? Cowboys lost. Yeah. What a shame, dude. The, the, the stadium was quiet. Was oh, was it at Dallas? Yeah. Damn, I was there for the the Packers game in Dallas. They were getting slaughtered, and the stadium was so quiet, dude. <laughs> I was like falling asleep just sitting there. Because there's, there's, so there's a lot of like uh, you know bandwagon Cowboy fans, and oh, I think for sure they're not as diehard as the Bills. Yeah, dude, Bills Mafia is crazy, man. We've had nothing to cheer for for a long time, <laughs> and they're as loyal as it comes. I mean, that's, that's cool. When you go, when you go to to uh, it's it's so the stadium's in Orchard Park, which is like it's a suburb of Buffalo, so it's twenty five minutes south of Buffalo. Uh huh. And it, you know, nice houses, nice community, and then this is just set like right on the outskirts of Orchard Park, and 
I mean, these fans, they travel to that game, and it's like every Sunday home game is their Super Bowl. I mean, they go, yeah, they go all out. It's, I mean, you know, I've gone there with my uncles, and one of them's a pastor, and it's like you're passing by these maniacs that are, you know, doing beer chugging and jumping off the top of RVs on the table. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I would. <clears throat> I would be curious to see what 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 the work attendance percentage rate is for the a Monday after. following the Sunday home game. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be low. Yeah, it's got to be low. My little brother was telling me that um, the they have Monday off or something about players. No, here in Texas, schools. There are some schools with Monday off because of. Because of yeah, because of oh, the because Super Bowl. of Super Bowl. Okay, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but hmm. I think so. Well, there is those certain little little cities. I mean, <clears throat> Texas that are so diehard that I wouldn't football. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So you you grew up till you were four, and you've been back a bunch of times. You have a bunch of family there. Um, yeah, my dad's side. So my dad is the oldest of of, uh, of four boys. So all three of his brothers still live back there. Uh huh. Where he grew up. Um, in Fairport, which is like a little suburb. And uh, in my adult life now, you know, I've gone back there. I've seen like three games back there in the last probably eight years. And and uh, it's good to go back and kind of see family. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy area because <clears throat> between Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse, it's this kind of this triangle. And they have this huge uh, Lake Ontario that they get snow uh, off of every year. I mean, they get insane amount of snow. So they have this lake effect snow, they call it. And I mean, it's, they can have sometimes like seven month winters uh-huh. and it's gray skies for like seven, eight months sometimes. And it's all snow, snowed out. Yeah. But even when it's not snow, it'll just be gray overcast skies, kind of mm-hmm. like Seattle. Yeah. I mean, people from Fairport tell you that they only have a couple more days of sunshine per year than Seattle. Whoa! And so it's like I, I don't think I could have grown up there, you know. Think, uh-huh. you know. I mean, I think being you know raised in Texas and, and living in Texas, you kind of get spoiled when you go travel to some of those places yeah, like uh-huh. that. Uh, so I think I'm fortunate, but yeah, it's. I mean, anywhere you, you you live, you kind of you acclimate to it. You know, you figure it out. You get used to whatever the conditions are. Because yeah, yeah. when I go back there, they're like, "How do you you know how do you stand the heat?" And I'm like, "Well, it's pretty simple, you know." You turn, you turn down the AC. You get in a body of water. Uh-huh. You, you know, you take off some clothing and you drink more beer. I mean, it, <laughs> one of those four things, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, just having to deal with uh, snow that you have to shovel off of, uh, you know, the driveway to get your car out for work. I mean, like that's that's another level. Yeah, you know? dude. But you, you know, wherever you're at, you acclimate to after like, a certain period. Like Joe Rogan says, people built people grown up in like super cold climates. <laughs> Are just built different, dude. They are, just like they are, way tougher. They don't. They know the struggle of literally having to survive. Whereas, like here, the heat you get under some shade, yeah. you get in a house. Yeah. There, it's like so cold where if your heater doesn't work, you'll die. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a psychological component to, you know, not seeing the sun for so many days. Uh-huh. The vitamin D aspect. Ah. Um. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, you can tell when people haven't seen the sun in a while. They're cranky or what? How, like, what, yeah. what is your observation? 
they're a little agitated or they're defensive. Is that why the people in they're Buffalo? like they're really pale, uh-huh. right? Dark dark circles under your eyes. I mean, you know, little stuff like that. But that's why they're willing to jump up. But I don't know. Eyes. I you know, I've, I grew up here, so I don't really know. But uh, I think that I've heard a stat that Seattle, Washington, has the highest suicide rate out of mm-hmm. any city in the country, mm-hmm. and they don't have sun. I mean, they don't have sun very often. So. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, you know, <clears throat> that just made me think. You ever thought about like if the sun, like the idea, wasn't there a movie back in the day about if the sun were to burn out, like how quickly we would survive? Oh, no? I don't know, but yeah, it wouldn't be. I mean, we would freeze. It wouldn't be that long, yeah. Yeah, we'd freeze for sure. But like thinking, let's say we didn't freeze, I wonder at like the number of people who would just suicide, you know? Because the sun is like, you wake up and you walk outside and like it. Feeling the sun on your skin is a good feeling, you know. Yeah, interesting. Well, when you were at the cookoff, you know, you were you were sleeping on your your, <laughs> your, make, your makeshift bed. What do you call that bed? A cot. A cot. Like, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done so many cookoffs over the years where, you know, we'll stay there all night because you got, you know, you've got meat on the pit and you got to keep the fire going and and all these different things and you know you are relieved when that sun starts coming up mm-hmm. and you start to feel, you know, some rays of sunshine on you and it yeah. starts to warm you up. So there's definitely, it's like a refreshing, some, like a yeah. reset. And then, you know, there's definitely an aspect to it. Where you're like, thank God that sun's coming up. Dude, those yeah. wings. Excellent, bro. Thanks man. Excellent. When did you start cooking those wings? Are, those are, those are made with passion. They taste um, like it. I don't know. I got it. I got into uh, kind of barbecuing, through some friends of mine that live in Dripping Springs, we started doing a cook-off over the, over there called the Founders Day. It comes up in April. Oh, interesting. We still do it. Yeah, it's late April. And so I just, you know, uh, I started cooking at home a lot. And I cook, I mean, I probably cook four, four days a week, four uh-huh. nights a week. And then I just kind of just started experimenting on my own. I have a green egg. and um, A green egg? Yeah, a green egg. It's a, it's a ceramic egg-shaped... Um, um, pit. And, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. And it hold. I mean, the ceramic. Once you set the temperature, you know, it's it's coal, it's wood, whatever your combination may be. It holds it. I mean, it holds it for hours, like 10, 15 hours. Uh-huh. I can do briskets where I set it at two twenty, and you set it and forget it, and it holds it there the whole time. And it loads the pellets by itself automatically. No, no, this is different. This isn't a pellet grill. So this is. You put in at the bottom, in a, just like a traditional grill, you'll put in whatever charcoal or wood you want to cook. Okay. You start it, you know, get to a temperature you like. And okay, so you get it up to the temperature you yeah. want. But because of the material it's made from, like it holds a uh, temperature incredible. Mm. And so, uh, I don't know, I just started, you know, experimenting experimenting over the years, last five years with different things like brisket, ribs, um, chicken wings is a thing that we've always done growing up, of course, yeah. you know, where we're from. So. Uh, I really like you know like if you go to Buffalo their their traditional like chicken wing is you know a battered chicken wing that's deep fried and then oh. they add sauce to it so you know in our world we're trying to you know eat healthy a little bit right? I just do a dry rub regular chicken wing like a naked wing and then you know you smoke it for a couple hours and then throw it in some sauce afterwards yeah so that's got my kind of Texas Buffalo spin on it what you else know? you cook What's your, what's your, your, 
something you cook often for like for me i've been cooking venison a lot a lot yeah just like every day weighing out some venison cooking it up so um kind of our rotation at home during the week um you know we try to eat we try to eat you know good those five days during the week and then the weekends is like whatever right yeah it kind of keeps me level keeps me consistent um so the i think we we cook salmon um chicken and then steaks you know whether it's uh, a tenderloin or new york strip Uh uh-huh but my favorite way to cook those is cast iron uh on the cooktop inside uh get it really hot put in uh, rosemary garlic butter and then you sear it you sear it for about a minute and a half two minutes on each side depending on the steak and then finish it in the oven on broil for about three to five minutes too. yeah it's a good. it's a, a a while back at a steakhouse i had um a tenderloin <clears throat> and they called it they called it a pittsburgh char and i'd never heard of it right mm-hmm. so what it is basically is they take a steak and i think i had had a tenderloin and they just salt and pepper it, but it's kind of a it's a heavy pepper. Okay. And they do that. They get they get that that cast iron skillet up to about seven hundred degrees, and they'll they'll sear it on each side and then finish it uh, in in a broil like type oven. Yeah. You know, that's going to be a commercial grade, but it has that you know the, the outside layers the crust. Are, are that crust like crisp, uh-huh. and then the inside just is red and it's like butter. So I try to I try to replicate that. <laughs> Just had two tacos, but I'm still down for some yeah. steak. Yeah. So we, I mean, you know, we we switch it up every now and then because you know it gets a little mundane, but mm-hmm. that's kind of our go tos. Um, but H E B recently raised their prices on their tenderloin, the prime one. So I'm, I'm eating more of the <laughs> the New York Strip. You know. Yeah. I got I got a lot of overhead with these three kids. <laughs> <clears throat> so you grew up in a small town. Where where is that in relation to New York? Like New York City. So if you're looking at New York City, Rochester. There's a way on the west side? Yeah, so it is north it is northwest about I think it's about a seven hour, seven and a half hour drive from New York City. Uh-huh. So it's it's like from here to Dallas but further. Okay. You know, maybe maybe Oklahoma City. And you've been there, and you've have you ever stayed there for like a long time and got, like because I'm assuming what back home? Yeah, like if you've moved here when you were four, you didn't really get to experience life. No, yeah. Um, the first time I went back after we had moved here was we took a family trip up there, and that was when I was probably eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And we 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 drove in a suburban our whole family here up there, and that's like a 26 hour drive. Like there's. There's still stories that are coming out from that, from that road trip. <laughs> uh, you know, trying to get my dad to pull over so the kids can take a pee, and he's like, "No, we're not stopping. Uh-huh. We're not. We need to make time." Um, so I started. I started going back um, to visit my grandparents. Uh, my dad's parents still live there, and they had an RV, so we would go back and RV. You know, mm. go camping. And it was cool, and. Where Buffalo's at in Rochester, you're not that far from Toronto. You're like an hour and a half, two hours. So we would go up into Toronto and go camping in, in, in Canada up in Whoa. that area. So that was, that was always interesting. Um, the thing I think that sticks out the most is, is um, you know, we, my, my grandfather had um, 
not the big motorhome RV, but it was like if it was an F three fifty on the front, it had the you know the motorhome in the back. It uh-huh. was all connected though. Uh-huh. It was in a trailer, and he would get on the highway, and uh, you know he'd be in the slow lane, and he'd set his cruise. And then, you know, going down the highway and there's a car trying to get on the on-ramp. And, you know, if the car, if the car was, was slightly in front of him, he had to, he had to like cut it off and uh-huh. hit the brakes. So he had to reset it and he'd get all mad because he had to reset his, <laughs> his cruise. Uh-huh. And then before all of this automation with leveling these things, like nowadays you pull in those RVs, whether it's a trailer or motorhome, and there's like an auto leveling with air uh-huh. suspension stuff. Well, back in that time... We had to get over there, you know, you pull in your RV spot and then to level it out, you had to usually back up on like two by fours. And so, I mean, this, this, this period probably took like two hours, you know, with my grandfather and he's like yelling at me, we need another board (laughs) just to get it level. Yeah. And up there in, in in Canada, it was funny because, um, like Canadians, they get a bad rap, but they're. They're the nicest people. Dude, you I'll know? tell you about some Canadian stories right They after. just want to, you know, they just want to drink their beer, you know. So we would always have, I just remember we always have Canadians that were just like, you know, they're always like hammered, uh-huh. you know, by like the late afternoon, you know, off of their Canadian beers. <laughs> Dude, Canadians are super cool. But the, I mean, the, the, like you go up where I'm from in the summer and even into Canada, obviously, like it is beautiful country. And those are actual yeah. lakes. I'm talking like. Like Lake, on, lake Ontario is a lake, okay? It's a great lake. You can't... If you're standing on one side, you can't see the other side. Yeah. I mean, it's like an ocean where it's yeah. just so big. So, yeah, it was cool. I was in Canada um, like a couple summers ago. What part? Uh, we were on the super west side, uh, Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, and then we had... We drove from... So it was uh, my friend Braxton, Derek, um, Braxton's girlfriend, and my brother... And his girlfriend at the time. And we drove from Southern California up all the way to Canada. And How many then, hours was that? I think to... Was it 25 hours? 20? Probably from where, we, from where we started to our end, or to the highest point, was probably like 30 hours. Jeez. That would be my assumption. Did you guys stop along the way? Yeah, yeah. Like so it was nine. a two-week trip. Okay. Um, but we went into Canada... Dude, funny story. I so whenever we go camping, I always take my gun with me, and we and Canada doesn't have a Second Amendment. So when we were going into Canada, I had my gun in my glove compartment, and I told them like, "Yeah, I have it." And I figured if I didn't, we had so much stuff. You didn't get you didn't get any grief at the border. Yeah. So okay. Oh. So I I was thinking like, don't say anything. But then I also thought, like, we had so much stuff on the roof. We had so much stuff in the car. They might just ask, hey, let me look around. So I just told them, yeah, I have my gun. And then they were like, well, we don't have a Second Amendment, so we're going to have to confiscate it. They confiscated it. We, we were there at the Border Patrol for, like, four and a half hours. They were just grilling. They were grilling me for having it. And I was like, look, I go camping in the backcountry. Like, there's bears out there, you know. And then um, I ended up having spent four hours there. They have me flagged now. Went into Canada. Was able to go through. And then I had to write a letter to Border Patrol saying like, Hey, I did this. Please give me my gun back. I'm not going to do anything bad. And I'm just like, this is crazy, man. This is crazy. But I got what, what it back. Were, what were your friends saying? They're like, why'd you bring that damn thing? Nah, they no. were cool about it. They were super cool about it. Because <laughs> they knew, you know. 
But we did see. Now some were bears. these like were these were these Canadian like border agents or whatever you want to call them? Were they the ones that have like the big hats and the no 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 you know? <laughs> on horseback? Maybe that's maybe that's Eastern Canada. Why they have those guys? Yeah, I forget what their oh, police okay. is called, but they have like the. I know what you're talking about. Almost yeah. like troopers, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we we camped in uh we camped so like during this whole trip, this two week trip, we basically camped backcountry, like maybe 11 of the days 11 of the 15 15 total oh, days oh wow so we, we we would just go in like every two or three days into a town stay the night and experience so like we stopped in Seattle we stopped in Portland just to experience the bigger cities but also to like resupply and then go back out into the back country it was badass nice you but just sleep in tents or mm-hmm. yeah and hammocks yeah, were you telling me that you would get like a car, your buddy's car side by side, and you guys would just hook up uh-huh. the hammocks to the talk racks? Yeah, that's how we would do that's it. That's cool. And my buddy has a truck. So my buddy Derek, the one I was telling you about, he has a gigantic uh, Ram. Like, a, dude, this truck's fucking huge. Um, and then he took that up, and then I took my 4Runner. Um, but in Canada, we had... So talking about how Canadians are so nice, I had always heard like Canadians are the nicest people. Pulled into a, a dirt parking lot, right? And we were gonna go on this hike. So we were at this, the beginning of the trail of like some uh, foresty park. And we pull in and I mob in, like I pull in fast. Dust goes everywhere. And this lady had come around her car and started like coughing because there was just dust <laughs> all in the air. And she had her dogs with her. And I was thinking in my head like, holy shit, I just totally like, you know, dusted this chick big time. And then, um, and it's starting to like settle down. <laughs> and then I roll down the window. I'm like, "Excuse me, ma'am. Do you think you can help us out?" She's like, "Yeah, no problem. Let me put my let me put my dogs away." And she's like, <laughs> coughing, you know. And I'm like, Americans would like scream at us, yeah, like, "What the fuck yeah. are you coming in so fast for?" And and she was like super helpful. She just put her dogs away. She's like, "Oh, no problem. Where are you guys from?" Like just the nicest. Man. Um, but Canada's cool, dude. Yeah. The mosquitoes up there in the mountains over there are insane, man. I've never experienced mosquitoes. Are they like big? That. No, but like when it comes to like swarms of mosquitoes, we open the car like because we went into the mountains to go camp, and when we opened the car doors, within I would say within about twenty seconds, there was probably like fifty or sixty in the car. Just you can see them like all on the Jeez, roof and everything. Man. But we were also in backcountry where. Do you know, not, did you have you ever heard that they <clears> say that the only mosquitoes that bite you are female? Yeah, I hear it. I have, have heard, you heard that. that. Yeah, I don't know if it's true, but. And I've heard also that the, you know, the big ones that you see, those aren't mosquitoes. Those are called mosquito eaters. Oh, really? And you think they're mosquitoes. So the real big ones, those won't bite you. The ones that'll bite you are the little ones. They eat other mosquitoes? Though? Mm-hmm. They're called mosquito eaters. Maybe Google that. This could be bro science. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's like mosquito cannibalism. <laughs> yeah. Man. So you, so you grew up, you grew up camping too over there in, in, in New York? Well, when I would go back, so I went back like two summers um, to visit my dad's parents. I was like, the, I was the oldest in my family, so mm-hmm. I was the first one to get to go. How many then, kids? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Um, so I am the oldest of 12. Holy shit. Yeah. And then there's... <laughs> Damn, cold winters over there yeah. in Buffalo, huh? Watch out, man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's 12, and then, you know, later... When I got, uh, I was almost moved out of the house. My parents actually adopted a family of five, and they've mm. since adopted two little twin girls. So there's there's 19 total in my family. Twelve are blood, oh and the rest God. are adopted. So 
Yeah. Uh, Y'all don't have your own TV show? Damn. No. My mom always watches that. Like, she's seen that Duggar. She's like, that's not real. That's not real. You know? But, yeah, my my parents are incredible. My mother is a saint. I can't imagine. Like, like her, her house in heaven's going to be, you know, right up there with some of the big ones, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but she's... She's uh she's incredible. She's got more patience in, you know, one of her fingers than I have in my whole body. Wow. I mean, selfless and she's still even with as much she's got going on, she's still um uh she still watches little babies like that need, you know, temporary uh housing and such. So wow. Little little newborns and and um she still fosters those little babies. So Your mom lives here? Yeah, we um, they live over by a church hill, so like Blanco, um, oh, okay. Patricia area, West Avenue, Blanco. Um, and they have, I think it's after this this last my my one of my middle sisters, Rebecca, had a their second uh, child, and that was grandchild number twenty six. Twenty six, and that's only like out of the twelve blood, that's the, only the top half. The older half has started having kids, so it's not even. Dude, you guys are barely at the middle. We're gonna have point. to go rent out Cowboy Stadium for <laughs> you know twenty years from now for uh, family reunions. It's it's uh it's pretty wild. Damn. Yeah. So, um, twelve kids, then they adopted five. How who's the how who's the oldest of your blood relatives? Or sorry, excuse me, you're the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. So who's the youngest? How old? So my sister, uh, Anna, is the youngest uh, blood. So out of the 12, there was seven boys, five girls. And me and her are, uh, we're uh, 19 years apart. She's 19, I'm 38. So. And they're all here in Texas? They're all here, like, around San Antonio area, yeah. Oh, okay. It's pretty amazing. I mean, that many people, and we haven't, you know, kind of scattered out. Like, I, I was the only one... Um, that you know flew the coop I, I lived in austin a couple a couple times when i was single before i got oh. married so yeah i'm the only one though and everybody oh. lives here between you know new braunfels lavernia san antonio and then out here in spring branch damn so, so with that many of y'all i might have seen one of the skeletons around huh <laughs> well it, it's funny our, our last name is not very common down here um it's an english name so shelton is 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 probably the closest people have heard so skeleton you know, you look. We've looked it up in Texas. There's not very many skeletons, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna populate that, that last name <laughs> in Texas. <clears throat> so, where are your parents from? Are they both from here? No, they're they're both from from Rochester. They were both. Or excuse born, me, yeah. are they both from the United States? Yeah, they were both born in Rochester. Um, and my mom's side of the family had all has. There's only one sibling, her sister, her oldest sister, that still lives there. The rest of them are all over the country. My dad's side, though, they all stayed there. So there's three brothers over there. His parents have passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my dad's mother was from Ireland. Like she mm-hmm. didn't move over to the states until she was 32. Oh, okay. And uh, so we've got English and Irish roots, and also like Dutch roots from my mom's side. Mm, and, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, people always ask me about a big family. They're like, "Oh my God, 12 kids!" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know." It's kind of like organized chaos, I guess is the yeah. best way to put it. You yeah. Know? But after so many kids, like we started watching each other too. So that's yeah, nice. for sure. I mean, I have three kids and I'm going nuts, but you know, my parents did it with you know four or five times that. So. <clears throat> and I'm assuming 
the time frames of when they had those kids, the older kids were somewhat able to help out yep. rather than having 12 babies at right, one time. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I feel for the people that have like triplets and quadruplets yeah. and quintuplets. I mean, that's, it's chaotic to have one, one newborn, you know, can you imagine multiplying that times whatever? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that Octomom chick. I mean, yeah, like, at one, you know, you look at it from one side and you say, okay, well, you get it all out of the way and, uh-huh. you know, it's like tearing off a Band-Aid, but still, like, that's a lot. You're not going to sleep right for five years. Oh, for no doubt. You know? I mean, I don't even have a kid and I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> have, you been to New- have you been to New York City? I've been once, yeah, coincidentally. I've only been once. Uh, I saw a video. You how were you there when you were younger? Um, I went with my brother. Yeah, we were like early 20s. Dude, I saw some a video of like New York City at night. Yeah. And they have these, these sky trams that go from like skyscraper to skyscraper. But like, it's like basically next to the highway. So you can see like all the cars and then you see this sky tram just like fl- almost floating through just, the air. Just going from skyscraper to skyscraper. Yeah, from like, like one Transporting people. Yeah. And I was like thinking, like what, looking at that video, that picture, that that looks like shit from the future, you know? Like yeah. it's like a big city, and then you have these floating pods. Uh, they're not floating, obviously. There's a cable, but these floating pods going through the air. How just high are they? Like just above the highway, so like oh, maybe okay. like I don't know, 20, 30 feet above the highway. <clears throat> so they're not like the tops of the skyscrapers, but wow. I've never been. Yeah, I've, it's it's such a cool city. Um, I mean, there's so much to do. Uh, for me, I've only been once, but it's kind of like Vegas. After about two, three days, you've ready, seen it, right? I'm ready to get out of there. Like, I mean, for you to live there is expensive enough, but if you wanted to have your own car, yeah, like that's really expensive because you've got to pay to park it. Obviously, uh, cars probably cost a little bit more up there too. Um, but you just can't get around like you can out here. You know, there's not the freedom oh, yeah. out here. Whereas there, you're you're taking like subway everywhere if you're not walking. So it's it's a whole different, you know, what do they call it? The concrete jungle. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 really cool to kind of get out and experience. No way you could live there. Maybe when I was really young, you know, younger. Yeah. But not with not with a family. No. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but I mean, if you know you're fresh out of college or you're just working and you want to, you know, get experiences in your life before you settle down, yeah, that's basically what my little brother's doing. Yeah, my little brother. I have a brother who's 23, but he's living in San Francisco. Yeah, and he's barbering out there. So, I've been I've been to San Fran once too. It was cool. San Fran right now is like the Wild West, dude. You got you got the super super rich, dude. With the homeless population, and then you got the homeless shitting on the sidewalks. Dude, sleeping on the sidewalks like. So I went for a convention, and this was back in twenty third, end of twenty thirteen, like November. And we ended up Airbnb before Airbnb was what it is now. Uh-huh. And we we were in the Tenderloin District, which I had no idea what that was. And it was above. It, it was a guy who owned this really cool um, condo above his Chinese restaurant. And. Um, you know, we would walk out in the morning to go to the convention center, which was like four blocks away. And, you know, people are just doing drugs right in front of you and needles are on the ground. And yeah. And it was like, do they just ship boatloads of homeless people here? Because it was just everywhere. Yeah. My brother was saying he takes the 
the public transportation. I think it's called the Mooney. <clears throat> and he's seen people smoking crack on the Mooney. Smoking crack. like Yeah. Smoking it. Like, not even... It, it's in their hand. Yeah. Like, they're taking hits of crack on the Mooney. Public transportation. Well, from what I've seen, I mean... You know, obviously what you see on TV and what's reality is, is, is a little different. But, I mean, yeah, it's even wilder than what I experienced. But now it is. You know, seven years ago. So, yeah. So, uh, I can only imagine what it what it walks like. So, you, so you, you, you grew up here, here in San Antonio or like up here where you're at now? Oh, we grew up in, uh, just outside of San Antonio in Converse, like Live Oak Converse okay. area. Uh-huh. So, we grew up uh, there until... I moved out of my parents' house. I was, I was, I was almost 22. And years later, they sold that house and then moved to where they're at now. So yeah, I grew up in, in Converse area, not that far from Judson and all that. What was your childhood like? Like, um, like, like uh, you grew up like on, on, on property, farm? So we, we had a, like, I, I would say we spent probably 25 years in Converse. No, not twenty-five years, because that would that would make before me. But um, it was twenty years, I think it was, right? Yeah, no, twenty-three years for me. Okay. So they, my parents rented a house for like ten years, and then we moved closer into Converse, just down from like City Hall and all that. And we were on like a half acre. It was a oh, old okay. house, like built in the twenties, wraparound porch, and it was cool. We grew up on, you know, at that point we grew up on finally some, you know, some land. To, yeah, go build a treehouse in the back and and kind of run amok with all those kids. <laughs> Growing up with all the kids, how many brothers do you have your age? So out of the out of the twelve, um, you said five are boys. There's five. No, there's seven boys. Oh, seven. So I've got six brothers and five sisters. And um, my the second in line, Jake. He we're only like fifteen months apart, but it's wild because we're we're polar opposites. Like mm. interests, personality-wise, I mean, it's it couldn't be any more yin and yang, you know. Uh huh. And I've met people over the years like that too. If you have someone in birth order that's really close to you, like less than two years, sometimes it can be like that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but growing up, it was. I mean, being the oldest, I learned how to delegate. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're handing chores down. You're handing a lot of stuff down, and and. Uh, Growing up in that big of a family, I don't think you appreciate it. You know, when you're going through it as a kid, you want you know you want your own stuff. You know, kids, yeah. you know, you're selfish. You want your own stuff. But now that I'm older, uh, it's it's a lot more enjoyable. I mean, you know, New Year's or Christmas Eve, we had we had the family over because my dad's birthday is Christmas Eve. Huh. So usually every year, you know, it's either at my parents' house or one of my other brothers and sisters. And this year we had it at our house. And I mean. It was fifty deep, you know. Fifty, <laughs> and that's basically all immediate. You know, I have to go like walk my na- around my neighbors and tell them, "Hey, look, I have my family <laughs> over." Okay, you know, it's gonna be a lot of kids. So it's gonna be a lot of screaming, but don't worry, don't be alarmed. So it's kind of like preparing, preparing the neighborhood for the uh, yeah the skeleton invasion. Um, but it's cool. I mean, it, like I said, twelve kids sounds like crazy, and sometimes it is, but. They, you know, they help each other out. Yeah, you know, it's sure. organized chaos, I guess the way I put it. So, yeah, it's crazy how you can have <clears throat> two siblings who literally grow up in the same household, same parents, obviously, or not obviously, but 
same parents, go to the same school, you know, do the same activities for the most part, but then grow up to be just completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And interests and such. And it's, it's funny how that's usually connected to, um, to family members, you know, before you, you know, uncles and aunts and ah. grandparents and great grandparents and great aunts and uncles. So I think there's a lot of similarities. Like my brother, Jake is, he has the middle name of my dad's father. Uh-huh. And he's kind of similar in that way. Whereas uh-huh. my, I have the middle name of my mom's father and I'm similar to him in some ways. So it's, it's weird how that works out. Yeah. You know? um, huh. But people always ask me, they're like 12 kids. Holy cow. You know, are you guys Mormon or Catholic? <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> questions I get. Uh-huh. And we're neither. We're just Christian. So, <clears throat> yeah. so, um, did you grow up like, I'm assuming your brothers and sisters were like your closest friends growing up or did you all do your own thing oh yeah we were i mean we were very uh, tight-knit and we were so i don't know the the first six kids we were all homeschooled i was homeschooled my whole life never spent a day in the public school system so never up until college didn't go to college no really yeah interesting i just thought i've been working since i was 11 years old you know whoa cutting old ladies lawns at, at 11 and I had my first job it was an Italian restaurant down the street called Papa Dante's and I started working there when I was 14 40 hours a week whoa yeah and so they couldn't pay me 40 hours a week because there was child labor laws <laughs> so, so they would like pay me in like food credit and like 20 hours of that it was like food credit and they had this really cool like uh, um, collectibles and like uh, trading cards section so like I would trade stuff in and out for that really yeah so you were literally at 14 if you got enough food credit you could feed the family you were feeding the family yeah well, I, would, I would bring stuff home all the time uh, they had great like um, actual like deli sandwiches you know like stacked like I mean from the height of it was was four to five inches right I mean so they were like the real deal yeah these were like uh, old Italians uh, old Italian family that started this restaurant so it was cool but yeah, I started working 40 hours a week when I was 14. So you never went to the school system? No. That's crazy. Yeah. And you didn't go to you didn't go to college either? No, I you know, I got to I got to you know, I graduated um, and I just never knew exactly what I wanted to do. You graduated yeah. what? You just got my GD. Oh, you know, okay. Good enough diploma. <laughs> but I I I didn't want to go to college unless I kind of knew what I wanted to do. So I just, I went out and worked and got experience, you know. And I think that's what makes it so hard is you expect these 18-year-olds to pick their, you know, pick their, yeah, pick their, um, you know, their degree and, and their interests at that time. And it's like, you're 18 years old. You don't even know who you are. Yeah. And, you know, to each his own. But for me, I, I'm not, and I was also someone that I, I can't sit at a desk for very long like I've got to be just moving Mm -hmm. and um, you know what I do now enables me to do that you know I'm a people person things like that so the classroom to me was not always appealing yeah you know not that I don't like to learn but it just wasn't a a big interest to me I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do so I just got out there and worked and it was kind of like process of elimination that's a very (laughs) interesting way of figuring out yeah because I've never met somebody who's not gone to school yeah 
just like growing up in California, like yeah, I don't know. Just in general, I've never met somebody who just didn't go to school. Yeah. Well, it, 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 I don't know. It's it's and you who's know, not you, homeless. You, you, you meet know? yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think God blessed me with a lot of common sense, right? So I can I'm a very visual street smart. So, yeah, so I can figure things out. Yeah, you know, but. But also, I didn't want to just go to college, you know. Um, yeah, it's going to teach you some discipline, obviously, um, getting your grades in and stuff like that. But it's like, I don't want to come out with a marketing degree and then, you know, go work somewhere where I'm not even applying what I just learned. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I said, that's a, that's a whole other discussion and topic. Yeah, yeah. But for me, that's I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just got out there and worked. And uh, I spent a lot of time in the hospitality industry, um, you know, started out at Papa Dante's. I was, I was the dishwasher, and I moved my way all the way up to uh, kitchen head cook underneath the owners. Head cook? Yeah. Damn, son, yeah. you got some skills. That's why the wings yeah. were so good, huh? That's right. Yeah, and and I liked that industry um, as I moved, you know, into my my late teens and twenties, where I was. You know, I was waiting tables, and then I be, uh, then I was a bartender because the appealing part to me was. Was you could the more the harder you worked, the more money you could make, right? Like I wasn't mm-hmm. satisfied satisfied just you know making four hundred dollars a week every week. You know I wanted to know that I if I worked harder, I'd be rewarded in that way. So that's what that's what that industry brought to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, you know you whenever you got to eat, you know you're dealing with wait staff, right? You're dealing with you know bartenders if you go up to the bar and and there's kind of a, a black eye into that industry. In the sense that you know, like, oh, you're just a waiter, but the 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 type of people skills that it teaches you is incredible. Like, you can't learn that out of a book, you know. Because yeah. think about it: if you're if you're a waiter, you know, you have a you have a table that's sat, and most of the time you're not going to know those people unless they're regulars, right? But in that hour hour and a half window, you know, you're trying to meet or exceed people's expectations. Yeah. Um, while they're while they're eating and and you know maybe they got kids and it's just like all these different circumstances and things going around so I think that helped develop you know skills for me probably in replace of college or mm-hmm. substitute for college um, and just those those personal skills I mean in that industry you're always evaluating you know like if you're if you're standing over the waiter station you're looking at your table we used to call it silent anticipation right where you're like, you're looking over there to see if they need anything. Like, oh, where's that, where's the drink at? You know, they almost done with that tea. I should go over there and just fill it up without them asking me. Yeah. So it's, it's things like that. It's just constant evaluation, which is so cool. And it, you became what, more observant about just everything in life? Yeah, I think that, well, I think that I'm a, I, I'm naturally observant. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see it in my son now too. Um, really? So it's something that I've always enjoyed doing. And again, going to like visually learning something. Like if I'm going to go build something, I'd rather watch a video on it than read a manual on it. You yeah. know, I'm going to get more out of that. So yeah. everybody learns differently, but that's the way I learn, you know. So you worked at the Italian restaurant and then you got into bartending there at the Italian restaurant? No. So I left there. They, um, they, they, were, they were careful with their money and they didn't want to pay me mm. what I deserved. I mean, it was basically running their kitchen. So... I left and kind of went out into the... Uh, Your choice of words is good right there. Yeah, They're yeah. careful with their money. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I kind of went out into the, into the real world, per se. I mean, that was my first 
you know, job outside my first job in my hometown. So how long did you work there for? Babadantes? Yeah. I was there for uh, five years. So when you were, what, 19, 20, you left? Yeah, I was 19. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, went, went into, I always wanted to go in sales as well. So I went into a couple sales jobs. It was kind of just like, you know, tr again, process of elimination, trying to find out what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Um, I, kn I knew what I didn't enjoy was like corporate, you know, kind of structure and and um, you know, only being as good as the as the man above you. And type impress of thing. this guy. Impress this guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I don't know. I'm a pretty blunt guy. That if I don't like you, I can't pretend. Yeah. You know, or whatnot. So again, I just I didn't know exactly at that point what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be in charge of you know what I do. Uh huh. You know, and how I do it, and my schedule, and I'm not somebody that needs to be micromanaged. You know, I'll get my stuff done. So. Um, that eight to five world just wasn't really appealing to me in that way. Mm -hmm. And I started to kind of figure that out as I got older, like, um, that that's, I know what I don't want. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what can I do yeah. with my career and stuff like that? And, uh, so I, I, I went through some sales jobs, um, different avenues. Um, I did commercial construction. So we would go in and it was a, it was a buddy of mine that I went to church with growing up and he started a business where, they would go in and do um, commercial doors for any commercial building, whether it be a hotel, office building, uh, industrial building, stuff like that. So that was my first stint in Austin when I was, uh, I was almost 22. So you moved to Austin for that opportunity? Yeah, they provided, they provided us with housing. It was kind of like a, it was kind of like my version of a fraternity. Like mm. there was, there was six of us guys, and half of us knew each other before that, and there were some other guys that were brought in. Oh, right on. We're all the kind of same age, you know, um, those early 20s. And we lived in this townhome just down the street, like right off Congress, before you get over the bridge um, to downtown Austin. So we're like early 20s. And, you know, we would work. It was building the Hilton Hotel that's niched at the convention center. It's still there. We hung all the doors in that entire hotel. Holy shit. It was like 3,000, almost 3,000 doors. Whoa. Right? So um, it ended up that our neighbors, because it was a townhome, so there's an A and B side, right? Our neighbors were like three girls, kind of our age, maybe a little, I think a couple of them were a little older, and one of them bartended. So we were set up for success. <laughs> <laughs> Go work construction during the day. And then um, she worked at like a sports bar off of 4th. And it was uh -huh. just like, it was a perfect storm. So yeah. we had a lot of fun. And, you know, it was six guys living in a four-bedroom place, you know, and, you know, a lot of protein rolling through there. A lot of testosterone. A lot of trash, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was it was fun. At that. So that lasted about a year and a half. And... Uh, and with that, again, it was it was it was good money. It was hard work, um, but I wasn't in control. And mm. kind of going back to my childhood, I mean, it's with the, with that many kids, you know, my mom stayed at home, you know, obviously, um, and my dad always worked one or two jobs. So um, and he always worked for other people, which uh -huh. nothing wrong with it. But I saw that and saw that he didn't have control. You know, like when we had things going on, whether it be baseball games or things like that, you know, he obviously had to provide for the family. So, so life was on his employer's clock rather than his Yeah, own. their clock and schedule. So I knew that I wanted to be in control. 
yeah of what um, when I got to that point in my life you know with kids and things like that so I, I started to figure it out and um, and got back into hospitality I was with um, I was in hospitality management I opened the JW Marriott in 2010 okay and you opened it yeah, I was part of the opening team so oh, okay um, I uh, I joined it in March of 2010. They opened that hotel in January of 2010. What business were you part of? Oh, you're talking about the hanging the doors. No, no, no. Sorry, this is fast forward um, to 28. I'm at JW Marriott here in San Antonio. But doing Big what? Resort. So I, I was hired to come in and manage um, the uh, one of the restaurants. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm managing bartenders, oh. kind of front of the house staff. So bartenders, waiters. There at the at the at the resort. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was a huge undertaking. I mean that that hotel when it opened, it's basically a it's basically a resort, and it has attached to it a small convention center. There's like forty five thousand square feet of meeting space there. Mm-hmm. Plus being a thousand and one room hotel, you know, small water park. You've got 36 holes with the TPC course. So I kind of went in um, not knowing what I was getting into. Um, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. <laughs> did you apply for that job? Well, I, I did, um, but I had met somebody. So I was, um, I was bartending locally at this bar called New York Bar, 1604 uh, in Redland. Uh-huh. And, you know, part of their management team had come in and, and, uh, and I, I had taken care of them. And so they said, hey, we, we think you'd be great over here. You know, why don't you come in and talk to us? And so that's how that came about. And so uh, the, the, the biggest thing with that place when it first opened is, like I said, it opened in January of 2010. And the, and the, the employee quota for that entire resort was like 1,000 people. And when they first opened, they hired, you know, four to 500, so half of that. Uh-huh. And not ready or what? Well, yeah, and they thought, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to start out slow and then we can hire as we go. Well, they were slammed from the beginning. Uh. And um, I, was, I was outside at the pool, which is like a resort. We have a full restaurant out there, though. So they, they serve everybody, every nook and cranny of this entire pool area, like uh-huh. slash small water park. So we, uh, I started the beginning of March, and a week and a half later... It was spring break in Texas. And so it was a flood of families through there to experience this. And it was like utter chaos. So the amount of servers that I had was like 40 servers. Oh, whoa. And what I should have had was about 80. Uh-huh. And then bar staff. And it was just kind of like, you know, a startup where you're writing the book. And in and, and, and that first year, it was just catch up, you know, trying to catch up, hire people, um, and not just be in the weeds all the time. And mm-hmm. uh, it was amazing. The, I think it was after the first year, they told us that in the state of Texas, alcohol sales, we were number two in the state behind Texas Cowboy Stadium. No way. So From this one hotel right here. Yeah. Whoa. So it was, it was huge. Um, but again, you know, that experience, you know, you've got to go through some rainy days to get to some sunny days. Yeah. Like, I'm better for that experience now, mm-hmm. learning from it and such. So, um, I spent, after the first year, though, I, I was worn out. I mean, I had, after the first week I was there, I literally had 110 hours on my paycheck for one, one week. week. 
and you know kind of moving forward it was like 75 hours a week and I was just worn out so after the first year I saw how much money my bartenders were making I mean insane money so I, I got out of that and bartended there for the remainder of my stay with JW Marriott and worked you know half the hours and made twice the money I was making before so and you were like in a lower position considered yes right? considered yeah. a lower position yeah yeah because I had I had um, colleagues that were my supervisor colleagues, you know, the year before, and now they're supervising me, right? Yeah. So, but I was happy, right? Because I was in charge of, you know, how much com- kind of money I can make, right? If it's By busy, bartending well. Yeah. If I'm gonna, if I'm, if it's busy, I'm gonna make more money. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I was working half the hours I was before. Uh huh. So I had more time. So. So then you went from that to what? So that's that's when I got into real estate. Yeah, how did that come about? Uh, so interesting enough with timing, um, me and my wife Lacey got married in April of 2012, and we had looked at a house to buy before that. couldn't 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 settle anything. So we said, hey, we're you know let's let's hold this off until after the wedding. Were you still bartending at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was still at Marriott at the time. Okay. And so um, we get married in April, and then the summertime we start to pick up our search again to buy a house, you know, look for a house and buy it. And so we settled on a house, made an offer, it got accepted, and we closed the end of August of that same year. And the guy that we used, um, my wife had gone to middle school with, and he had had kind of his old his own small brokerage and he was our agent and he was great and uh, i was just you know talking to him one day we're doing one of the inspections at the house and just talking to him about the business and i'm just like i can do this you know and i had want i had an interest in real estate since my early 20s okay so it was always just like i was just like hey i wanted i want to do this how do i get into it and and at that time in my life you know recently married bought my first house i literally started um doing my uh, real estate schooling right after I bought my first house. So like, I think it was a week and a half after. Because I figured that before I have kids, I've really got to get into something that I'm going to be into now. I mean, once you have kids, it's hard to, you know, mm-hmm. deviate Explore from. new ventures. And yeah, all it's harder to make those changes. So um, I, I, I was licensed um, to practice real estate in November of that year. And continued to bartend until the next summer while working real estate during the day full time. So it's kind of like part time at night, you know, moonlighting to still bring in income and yeah, until I got busy enough to where I could get on my own. So ever since then, um, November of 2012, uh, I've been in real estate and it's just been a pretty awesome journey, man. I can't imagine. I'm assuming real estate's good right now with everybody coming from other states here to Texas, yeah? Yes, it's a good. It's a really good market. I mean, you know, the economy here as well, and 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 all that stuff. I mean, it's pretty wild. What did you do online classes? No, I did all my classes in um, in class because uh, I figured I'd retain more that way. And, uh-huh. and you know, you kind of if you have questions and, and kind of work through it as a group. And so I, I did that. It was it was six straight weeks. Um, just Monday through Thursday and then bartended at night. So so how does real team work? If you want to find, okay, obviously you work for a company now, right? Mm-hmm. Is this yeah. considered your own office or you still are under? 
So this this setup is, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Don Johnson. Don Johnson family owns this franchise, and so this is one of the offices. So this is technically their office, but we have a partnership. So this is, you know, this so is, what is your? I run this. You know, I, I manage my agents day to day, and and then I have my own set of clientele. Mm, so it's I kind see. of a two part thing. Uh huh. Yeah. So how does it work? If you like, let's say you're a realtor, right? So if if I wanted to get into realty, yeah. How would it work? I get my real my realtor's license, mm-hmm. and then what? Just go find clients and say like, "Hey, I'll sell your house." Is that? It's as easy as that. Really? Yeah, but where where I, where I where I find people that struggle is, um, you know, like the schooling aspect. You know, getting 180 hours of classroom before you go take a test. You know, it's just like school, right? I mean, it's easy enough. Uh-huh. Um, but once you are licensed and have to go out there and get business like that's where people struggle you mm-hmm. know getting clients and um working through that day to day and a lot of the times people that come from the eight to five world sometimes they're used to somebody managing them every day telling them kind of what to do per se so you know it's really it's really like an entrepreneur where you've got to take your own spirit you know you got to light up you got to work work wake up every day and light your own fire you know yeah. you've you know, you got to, even though you work for yourself, you're an independent contractor, you, sh- you don't have a technical schedule, you know, you still need to keep a schedule, you know, so there's, there's freedoms to it, but there's also structure for sure, you know, and so just depending on how somebody manages themselves in their day to day, it's probably how they're going to, you know, succeed or not succeed in this business. So, yeah. um, but this day and age too, it's interesting with everything with social media and and online, you know, if someone becomes a recent realtor, they they think once they announce it on Facebook that people are just going to start calling. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. um, and uh, it's it's just a fun business. I mean, I I, I truly enjoy it. Um, there's never a dull day in real estate, but um, it the heart of it is your is your managing personalities and expectations. Mm. You know. Um, people as a whole and I'm probably going to get crushed for saying this but people as a Same. whole you know as a whole population are a pain in the ass oh yeah so if you can if you can deal with them and 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 manage through that i mean you know you can do a lot of things in life i was i've been thinking too like i think one of the most important attributes to understanding the chaos is being a good communicator and being able to communicate and read people, right? So like most of the time, if you're able to read people and find common ground, it's way easier to communicate with people. Yeah. Because people want to do their own thing, but if you can make them feel comfortable with like, hey, I'm just like you, you know? And I'm assuming you learned so much about communication skills and and dealing with people through bartending that it transferred over to realtying for sure. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's, you know, that's, it's where I kind of honed in on my skills, I think, um, you know, looking back on it. Yeah. Um, and the other part, too, is communication. It, it all starts with that. Yeah. You know, where, when people have bad experiences, it's usually because communication failed at some level. And so it's different texts. I mean, these days you have, I mean, how many different ways you have to communicate? I mean, it's exhausting, right? So mm-hmm. you've got to, you have to hone in on what your clients prefer in that aspect. 
you know, if they're old, like I'm, I'm kind of old school. I'd rather talk to you in person than talk to you on the phone. Uh-huh. I'd rather talk to you on the phone than text you. Yeah. So you, you've got to, you know, through that process, figure out what their preference is and, and you know, adapt to that. You've always been a people person? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife makes fun of me, but yeah. You seem like it. She calls me the mayor because she says I'll talk to anybody, but um, I, I think it, it's it's funny to get out and just talk to people and, and figure out you know how they how they work. Yeah, you know? I love it, dude. <laughs> like there are certain people that are just even just like if you look a little weird, like hmm, yeah. what is that person about? Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, it's it's so it's so interesting. I mean, the time spent at the resort was cool because you had people from all over the world that came mm. for conferences there. I mean, we had one of the biggest ones we ever had was the company Yahoo, and like the whole the whole resort, like all the lights were changed out to purple to resemble their their color. Really, and they had people from all over the world. And Whoa! Different conferences um, that were big like that as well. Um, so. That was really cool to just, you know, when you're slow at the bar, you sit there and talk to people at the bar. So you're constantly trying to bring up, you know, things to talk about topics. And so you learn about different parts of the world. So you've talked to people from all over. Yeah. Oh, can you tell me about any super interesting people that you've met? Um, Well, it was interesting. We had these, these, um, I forget what the conference was, but there was these guys from Germany. And they were former military, like German military. And, you know, one of them had amputated leg. The other one, I think, had an amputated uh, arm Uh all the way to his shoulder. And I remember them educating me and telling me that they loved America because America um, really supported the veterans, um, people that previously served. And especially people that have gone through everything, you know, amputations and whatnot. He said back back in Germany, like you know me, he was he was talking. He's the one that had his leg amputated, all the way up to his you know up to his hip, and he said you know when you when you go out and and people see you like they look look upon you like like down on you. Really. Yeah, and it's not it's not the same spirit Whoa. that it is here in the U.S. So I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the one that comes to mind. You ever traveled to other countries or no? Yeah, I haven't been to Europe or Asia. Um, Canada, obviously, thing, but Canada, Mexico a lot for all the you know different weddings, and um, Costa Rica a t- couple years ago. Uh huh. That was cool, and uh, I think we well, we honeymooned in Aruba, so that's kind of the the uh, extent of my worldly travel so far. You seem like a very, um, you know, there are a lot of people who, and I'm guessing it's through the professions that you've had, such as bartending and stuff, but there's a lot of people who I have met here um, in Texas who are ignorant at what's out there. And, and it's, not, it's not terrible, but I've definitely met some of those people who are super close-minded, live in this bubble of Texas. This is the way life should be not... Um, being accepting or understanding of other cultures right. you seem very open to just everybody and I feel like I, I feel like getting to know you and once I have gotten to know you I feel like you would be somebody who I can bring my family around you know what I mean and yeah. I wouldn't get judged or yeah 
Is yeah. that through just your experiences with talking to so many different people, meeting so many different people, and through bartending and through your work in hospitality? Yeah, I mean, I definitely being. I mean, being in hospitality, it's like um, you have no choice. The diversity right? is like a bowl of confetti, right? I mean, it's it's very diverse. Um, but I think it really goes back to my childhood and, and you know my upbringing from my parents. You know, like mm. we we just. I mean, we had so many different. I mean, my mom. She she brought homeless people to Thanksgiving, you know. She um, we had down in Converse. We had this guy called the Bug Man, and he had like a boneyard full of uh, old VW Beetles. And he was a strange man, but you know, my mom invited him into our home, and and you know, as crazy as people think the world is today, it's like you know, there's there's ignorance everywhere. Right? Every every background every color i mean there's just ignorant people so you know we i think my family's mentality has always just been we like good people yeah you know, i don't care where you came from yeah um and we had a lady from nigeria too it was just yeah so i guess you know diff- through my childhood and through my different jobs i've definitely been exposed to different cultures and people and it's just at the end of the day we like good people you know that's cool man more people need that. More yeah. people need to understand that. And more people need to understand that, like, we're all human, you yeah. know? People yeah. like to see each other as, like, different things, but it's when it comes down to it, we're all humans on Earth trying to figure our way. We're all God's nobody, people. Yeah, nobody knows you know? what the hell's going on. That's right. You're shit out on a piece of land, you know? So find your way. Yeah. yeah and if people tell you they got this world figured out, yeah. They haven't, they haven't been anywhere. Nobody's got to figure it out, yeah. right? And the more that people tell you they haven't figured it out, you can tell, like, there are certain people where you're just like, you haven't been anywhere. You haven't seen anything. Yeah. Because, like, talking, even talking, like, even my conversations, I'm learning about, like, what's out there. Like, JR being in Africa, uh, Tim being in Europe, you know, in Germany. And, and it's just like, wow, man, yeah. there's so much I haven't seen and there's so much that I just have no clue about. Yeah. That the more I hear stories, the more I get knowledge from other people that I talk to, the more I realize that like I have You haven't seen shit. I've seen point <laughs> zero 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 one percent of yeah. what there is to see. Yeah, I I, I really want to go I think my first trip across the pond, as they say. I think I wanna go um do like Ireland and, and, and England. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I've always heard not to do too much at one time, you know, the first time over. So I want to go explore my grandmother's roots in Ireland mm. and then do that. But I, I also want, just want to go over there, too, because, I mean, like, that's old world. You know, the U.S. is so, so young, right? Yeah. Go over there and see old world, man. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's what's going to be cool, you know? Michelle, did you listen to the podcast I did with her? Yeah. Yeah, she talks about how, like, in other countries like China and stuff, you go to the ruins and it makes you realize, like, thousands of years ago, there were people standing right where you're standing. Whereas like here, we don't have that many places where there are such ancient artifacts right. that give you an idea that like, dude, there were yeah. people here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Jerusalem, I think would be, mm. I mean, that's like probably top of the bucket list. You know, I'm reading that book, that um, Empire of the Summer Moon about the Indians. Yeah. And I'm reading about it now about the Comanches. And it talks about how like they basically like dominated the lands and then the white settlers came in. And kind of just completely took over, and they've killed like mil- like all this land. It's all it all took place right here yeah. in San Antonio and this surrounding areas, and then like up to North Texas, like the Panhandle, the part of Texas that comes up. 
and like millions of bison used to like roam this land and just got all got killed and yeah but it's cool to think like even though we don't have much artifacts to see here there were still indians living on this land like roaming all these places where we currently preside yeah that book's oh, yeah. interesting man it's um it's cool to learn about you know history and how it, how it became you know yeah. how we got here yeah what it was and and uh i mean we you know different properties around here even um we'll find arrowheads all the time oh you found some yeah you have a collection i don't have a collection now there's a guy there's a guy that's a lender here locally um that he has a collection he has an enormous amount of knowledge about arrowheads and i mean he could literally you go out on a piece of land with him he looks at like there's probably yeah there's gonna be arrowheads right here like really he, he knows how you know land should look and how it formed and He's like an arrowhead gypsy. Get, give me his number, dude. <laughs> Tell him I want to talk to him. Yeah. I would love to talk yeah. to him. But, yeah. um, um, so you found some. What do you do with them? You should keep them. You should create a collection. Because I've heard that some I of them I give him uh, uh, um, our CEO, Bernie. He has a collection, so I just give them to him. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he's got, I think he's got like four or five kind of those pitcher plaques hung up in his office with him. I heard they're worth something. Everything some is, of them. Some yeah. of them. Yeah. Everything's worth something to somebody. That's true. <laughs> I was talking to a... Shoot, who was I talking to about this? A friend of mine about... It's fascinating how you have an item... I was talking to my friend Christina. You have an item who... Or not who, but somebody creates an item. Yeah. Like handbag, for example. She was telling me about some handbags that are worth like $200,000. Realistically, it's a handbag. No. That's it. It's going to carry some stuff. All right. But the people who make it are able to influence or create this image that this is the most amazing handbag in the world. Here's $200,000. I want you to pay me for it. Yeah. That's crazy. But that's really all things are essentially. I mean, I understand like things take time. Things take, things are definitely a better quality. But when it comes to, like the best quality, how much better quality can you get to make it worth two hundred thousand versus a three hundred dollar handbag? Or, right. You know. Yeah. And it's just about finding the buyer, right? We create the supply and demand of everything. Well, at the end of the day, it's like something is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Right? Yeah. That's how you find the worth and the appeal. But I mean, with fashion, that's a whole different animal too. It's like just because you bought a thousand dollar handbag or whatever it may be doesn't even necessarily guarantee it's the best quality. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe the brand, the the marketing done behind it, you know, that, that whole thing. Like diamonds. Yeah. You know, that's how diamonds started. Yeah. They said uh, diamonds, the hardest rock, therefore diamonds are forever. Forever means love. Now go buy a $15,000 diamond to show oh, how God. much you love this don't person. Get, don't get me started on that. <laughs> don't get me started on that. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, we were talking about like, um, oh yeah, supply and demand. You know, in business, they say that it's not about... Making money is not about what you sell it for. It's about what you buy it for. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to... You don't choose what you sell it for. But you can choose what right, you the buy market, it for. The market essentially does. Yeah. The market tells you what to sell it but for. But there's those sellers out there that say, you know, I, I will not sell for less than this. And it's like, well, you're going to wait 20 years for the market to catch up to that number. But yeah. yeah essentially, yeah. That's what it is. It's where it is. That's where you make profits is what you buy it for. 
Yeah. Have you sold any properties here to like anybody? So we were talking about earlier about the people from Mexico, business yeah. owners who come up. Have you sold any properties to like super rich people from there? Not not to na- not to Mexican nationals. Um, I of course am a gringo, and so I mean those people, you know, they stick with their own people. You know, uh, they don't, okay. Unless you had a relationship, you know, some other way. I mean, I, I worked for some guys too in the bar industry in Stone Oak that were. Like I got in because you know I knew the GM, but like you know they wouldn't the ownership because they were nationals they wouldn't trust me because I'm a gringo. Oh, interesting. So I mean I've sold though you know I've, I've represented sellers that have sold to nationals who are represented by a you know um, someone that has ties to Mexico as their agent. So, mm-hmm. But you you hear about I was reading a story about they found uh, the longest drug tunnel so far found in. Um, um, in Stone Oak? No. In California, <laughs> in San Diego. And yeah. it's like a you heard about that? That was was that a, about a year ago or so? I, I read this story maybe okay. like a week ago. And it was like a four thousand down to foot, down to Tijuana, right? Yeah. Like a yeah. four thousand foot drug tunnel. It had like a um drainage for if there was ever floods, it had I like air ventilation. Yeah, that was Dude, some of that stuff is crazy, man. Like, I can't imagine a 4,000-foot tunnel. I know. I mean, who knows how many people probably died creating that, too. Oh, for you know? sure. Died, but also, like, Oxygen been transported and, through there. Yeah. And You ever seen that? That's movie? a lot of mota. <laughs> Money? What? Mota's what? Drugs? Weed. Weed? Yeah. yeah, but weed's legal now, so I yeah. don't think that's one of their big imports. But cocaine, for sure. Yeah. Fentanyl. Fentanyl's crazy, man. At least from what I've heard. There's a, is it, I think it's on Netflix, the different, uh, you can watch those documentaries and shows they do on, on the different um, drugs and smugglers and cartel. Mm-hmm. And the interesting one that I had watched, it was a while ago, but it was uh, had to do with Mexican cartel and how they push product from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they, they visited in this one episode the different uh, spring break spots from Texas to Florida. So you had, of course, South Padre, you had Port A, and then on the Florida Panhandle, you had, uh, I think it's Panama City Beach. And I mean, these, these cartel guys, you know, are just out there on the beach peddling. Mm. peddling product and I mean not to mention like in Cancun and stuff we've actually seen it Cabo Mm. you know and uh, recently was it two years ago we went to Cabo and I just watched it before that so like I'm on the beach and I'm seeing this guy who's selling you know hats and cigars but underneath Uh, and he came up and he's like you want some you want some blow and uh I'm like I'm good man I'm good (laughs) I just want a pina colada (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable how much you know kind of evils in the world. Oh, for sure. But then there's also like there's also like certain drugs that shouldn't be illegal to where if they weren't illegal, there wouldn't be the need for people to die so that they right. can get drugs here. You know right. what I mean? Oh yeah. Like there are certain things, of course, like fentanyl and all that. But then like weed, for example, so much weed was coming over here, but eventually they were like okay, this is stupid that this is illegal. People are dying because of this. People are getting put in jail for yeah. years and years. Whereas if you like studied up, do you know how weed became illegal? 
So essentially the um, hemp, which is the stock, um, hemp was superior to wood. So they created like bricks out of hemp. They had um, hemp t-shirts, clothing. They used hemp for like rope. They used, they used hemp for like everything. Um, and the, the person in the U.S. who had like one of the biggest... You mean hemp is the, is the stem and the root? Mm-hmm. It's not the because it's not the you know weed is the leaf right yeah weed is the actual okay like, the so this is like that repurposing grows. that part when it's discarded so they they harvest basically the flowers and then once they harvest the flowers they can take the stem and like basically the trunk of the weed yeah and they can repurpose it and that's what the hemp was and um, that was much superior to like wood and so um, there was a guy I forgot the guy's name but he owned. Um, a bunch of like newspaper companies and what he did was the weed was going to overtake his business of wood and newspapers wood and paper and so he decided to put out a ton of misinformation to make it seem like he was saying that marijuana was causing blacks and mexicans to rape women to be aggressive and um, basically put out all this misinformation to get it illegal so that his business can stay in control and if you do the research on it, it's just like, it's just a big scheme where it was just yeah. all for money. And then it's like, it sucks because it's like, you have people who all they want to do is smoke a little weed. Then they go to jail. And then 10 years later, it becomes legal. Yeah. But these people are still in jail. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so interesting to look back and see how much misinformation shifted times that we're living in, you know? Like well, that like, was like, I mean, that's like an early version of a media company pushing a narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's, yeah. It's always been scary always, to think about man. that, right? I mean, uh, but after spending so much time in the hospitality business and, you know, the alcohol side of it too, um, the the weed aspect is like, I mean, it's just like alcohol, you know? Like, I don't I don't participate in weed, but... What I've seen alcohol do to people, like the world would be a little bit better place if more people, you know, were smoking that and then yeah. drinking the other stuff. Yeah, you know? if you look at the numbers too of like the people who die from yeah. alcohol deaths versus yeah. marijuana deaths, is you know I what mean, I mean? It's it, like not in my close. eyes, um, if there was any accidents from somebody being high, you know, you'd only be going twenty miles an hour, right? Uh-huh. Nobody's gonna die. And maybe because you were grabbing some food or something. Yeah, like the food industry would like. <laughs> Go Blow through up. the roof, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. like Funyuns and mm-hmm. Cheetos would just be like number one and two foods in the country. <laughs> I saw a post and it was like, and I believe, I, you know, I, I agree. Like a lot of those substances, right? Like anything can be abused, just like alcohol. There are yeah. people who are responsible with alcohol, but then there are also abusers. There are people who smoke, and there's also people who abuse it. Yeah. But um, I was reading something, and it was like, and the, this is just somebody's opinion, but it was like. If weed was illegal nationwide, we'd have way more fathers who were, where their kids' uh, memories of them were just being so hungry that all they did was eat all night. Yeah. Versus <laughs> a kid who's a dad's an alcoholic. And who beats his wife. Gets beat, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's the reality of it. And there's so much ignorance out there. Like, well, I think what you said too is important is like everything is good in moderation. Mm-hmm. Right? Everything. Yeah. Um, chocolate, right? Yeah. And it's, ice cream mm-hmm, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like um, the shit 
I just blanked. God damn it. Too much weed, man. Nah. Being from California, <laughs> nah, no way. But um, the whole the alcohol business <clears throat> I'm trying to I'm trying to say things all right to bring it back up what I was gonna say hold on give me give me like 20 seconds <laughs> there's like this awkward silence on here now yeah um, Suspense. I don't even know dang it but it had to do with oh 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 the misinformation on so like talking about how marijuana became illegal just I'm, I'm like I scroll through social media I scroll through like Instagram and I see so many posts that are like this happened this happened did you know and then I google it and it's like that's not true I'm yeah. like there are so many people out there who want to be the first people to share information that they're not willing to look up yeah. the sources of that information exactly even like the coronavirus it's just lazy too it's laziness yeah. mm-hmm. um, even like right now, political posts are, are, you know, obviously popular, you know, no matter what side you're on. But if you read when people or certain pages post articles, I always go in and I look at the date, mm. right? Because like they're trying to push a narrative as well. And it's like, well, this is like, you know, four years ago. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's made to seem like it just happened. Right? Yeah. That person just said that, you know, so yeah, just people say you stop being lazy. Yeah, you know, with the uh, I, like the coronavirus, for example, this idea, and I, I joke around too, right? Like, they did a simulation. Some scientists did a simulation and said that s- potentially sixty-four million people could die if it spreads worldwide. Yeah, and it's already starting to spread. There are already more cases here in the U.S. But essentially, the coronavirus, for anybody who doesn't know or understand or thinks that this is like the world's deadliest virus. It's basically just another strain of the common cold or the flu. And the people who are dying are the ones who are old or the ones with weakened immune systems. So like normal healthy people essentially get a respiratory infection Mm -hmm. and most of them heal on their own. Um, But all we see is like, oh, 186 people die. Extreme cases. Yeah, extreme cases, but not realizing that 180 of them were either old or already had a weakened immune system. And so this idea, like, I've seen, like, posts saying, like, understand, look, look at the facts. Look at how many people are old or have a weakened immune systems. Look at um, the people who are dying who are healthy is very small. And then, like, there, and then it's also saying, like, don't be racist to Asians just because, you know, it, yeah. it's yeah. from China. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But there's always the internet, man. The internet never loses. When it comes to like, the internet will always win, dude. It's crazy. And the internet is so savage that it doesn't matter what happens, somebody's gonna come up with a joke that is so foul. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Twi- Twitter is that? Uh, yeah, so, Twitter. Yeah, I, I'm not very active on it, but I like certain things happen, and I go on there just to see the comments. Yeah. It's amusing. Have you, has um, social media helped your business at all in realty or no? Um, it has. Uh, I think, you know, when I'm selling a property, uh, when I'm representing a seller, um, I use it for marketing purposes. Yeah. Um, personally, I think that, yeah, people that, you know, maybe I haven't seen in a while, they, they see, you know, kind of life moments and what's happening in your life to where you somewhat stay connected. So when they have that need, 
you know, you're the, you're, you're the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, in that aspect. Uh, so yeah, I think it has. I just, I, 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 I try to use it for that advantage. I mean, I, I, I use it personally a little bit, but um, it has. So let me ask. It's a double-edged sword, though. I think it's oh for sure. It's the antichrist, basically. But you can get in trouble on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just exhausting to uh, to see um, people's. I don't know what you would call it. Maybe people's obsession with um, self promotion. I guess is the way. Oh best yeah. Way to put it, you know, like mm-hmm. like I was I was uh, I, I love comedy and this one comedic guy uh, Sebastian Maniscalco um, he's like old school like me but he's like he's like you know you go around today and you see these people and they've got their phone out and they're taking a selfie uh-huh. he's like I can't even say that without almost throwing up but you know what I call it I call it taking a lonely <laughs> <laughs> he's like you don't have any friends yeah. that you can or somebody you can ask to take a photo for you yeah so it's, I, I think I kind of see eye to eye with his idea of uh, this 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 new found phenomenon um, of self uh, promotion. So it's super interesting too. You see, like I think a lot of times you can read people based on what they post about. So like, mm-hmm. if I'm like, if I see a girl and I like look through her Instagram or even a guy and all I see is pictures of themselves, pictures of themselves, mirror selfies, picture of what they wore today, what their makeup yeah. was like. I'm like. Yeah. You really care about yourself that much. Yeah. And it's like, you really think we care that much? Oh, I know. Right? It's fascinating. Fascinating to see like, you can scroll through some girls' Instagrams and it's literally 150 pictures of themselves. And I'm like, not much has changed. Why do you keep showing us the same picture? You're in a different colored shirt. Oh, big fucking deal. It's kind of mean, but it's the truth. Like... Too many people are so focused on their internet image that they're not focusing on the present and just living yeah. and, and seeing the people who are closest exactly. to them, right around them. I mean, if you go, <clears throat> if you go, uh, you know, out to eat, you'll see people just snapping photos of their food, and yeah. it's like, I, I don't, I don't care to do that. Like, I want to enjoy the hot meal that's in front of me. Yeah, you know, I'm living in the present, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you probably have a lot of those people out there that their 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 image of you know, themselves online is better than what's actually portrayed in real life. Oh, for sure. Because that's what their focus is on. It's like, you know, I don't see eye to eye with that. The online <laughs> is the highlight reel. You know, they like never in, post the behind the scenes. In my business, they're all focused in on social media, marketing, um, you know, online leads and whatever. And I was like, I'm doing the opposite. Like, I like to go out and meet people face to face. Yeah. And so I'm kind of. I'm kind of salmon in that aspect, you know, swimming against the current. You're more likely to get you're more likely to get remembered as well if you shake somebody's yeah. hand and say, "Hey, my name's Brian." Exactly. Versus they're scrolling past your post and seeing, "Hey, I'm a realtor," yeah. and then they scroll to the next one. Yeah, it's just and it's very, um, yeah, like you said, it's very forgettable. That's what I tell people all the time. Like if you meet somebody, you know, that's going to go further than if you talk with them on the phone or you're emailing them, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm kind of old world in that way that I, that's what I enjoy to do rather than the new stuff. I mean, but, you know, the communication, I mean, like I said, it's a double-edged sword, all this invention, uh, innovation, and social media. I mean, the way that you're able to stay connected to people is a great thing, mm-hmm. but in moderation. Oh, for uh, sure. But, you know, I didn't go to... 
I didn't go to to public school, but I've heard that that social media, Facebook, has ruined uh, like high school reunions. You know, really? Yeah, because if you think about it, people go to high school reunions because they don't, you know, they 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 probably don't know what their classmates are doing or have done, right? They want to see, you know, they want to see what everybody's doing and 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 whatnot. And now that's kind of ruined mm. to a certain degree. Right. Yeah, because you already know sense. what everybody's up yeah. to. You know, you know the one the one guy who was maybe a nerd, and now he's you know a millionaire. He wants to show up in a helicopter and yeah, you know, impress everybody. But everybody already probably knows. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. There's, there's um, yes, yeah, so I see. And talking one more thing, I see people on social media. I'll, it's so funny, but I'll see like people's posts about like some girls, right? See their posts about like <laughs> this is so mean. Like, hey, uh, a bunch of people have been asking about my skincare routine. A bunch of people have been asking oh, about my hair products. I'm like, nobody's been fucking asking. <laughs> Don't even get me. That's a whole other podcast, dude. Yeah. <laughs> We've got some friends like that. Uh, so let me ask you, before we end this, do you have a favorite quote that you like to live by or a few things that you like to live by that you can just think about and say like, Wow, like, I don't know, like for me, for example, one of my, my favorite quotes is, we live two lives, and the second one starts when we realize that we only have one. And I like it, but I personally, I can be honest with myself and think that I don't, or I haven't got to the point of realizing that I only have one life. Because there are days where I just waste days, you know what I'm saying? Right. Whereas when I come to that realization that this is it, you know, this is it. You only get one at bat. When I'm never going to relive my childhood, so I'll make every day count. I don't know if I've taken full advantage of that, but do you have any, any quotes that you like, that you like to live by? Um, I mean, you know, kind of growing, going, growing up with my faith, um, we were non-denominational Christian. I think it, it helps to have a moral compass and puts this time on planet earth in perspective Mm -hmm. and it you know especially with everything going on in the world uh, it really really helps to I guess simplify those things but uh, one that comes to mind is just kind of you know treat treat others like you'd like to be treated yeah so simple as that I mean it's not going to inspire anybody but (laughs) you're a simple man (laughs) Stupid simple. Wings, Stupid. steak. Yeah, and beer. And beer. Yeah. And, right, cro- and CrossFit. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Julie. Hey, buddy. We'll do this again. All right.